this powerful episode to coincide with the 9-11 attacks on our turf, we dive deep into the state of mental health. As warriors, we live dynamic lives where overcoming obstacles and challenges is the norm. Courage and bravery are an everyday thing, and many times we stare horror right in the face while most people would flop to their knees, we continue to move forward and put it aside. Our special guest today is Oklahoma City firefighter Chris Fields. You've probably seen him in the iconic photo of him holding a baby in his arms during the Oklahoma City terrorist bombing. Chris dedicates his life now to helping first responders and those in need to get out of the darkness and back into the light. This is going to be a very powerful episode. Stand by. Welcome back to the Man of War. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, I am your host, and I am a man on a mission to transform you into a modern-day warrior, to strengthen your mindset, to strengthen your self-confidence, to bring you up to that next level, to live a life that embodies, man, that warrior spirit. This is what we're all about here. Now, check this out. Today is a very solemn day in my book. Today, September 11. We remember, we hold our hearts heavy and we remember those souls that were lost in 2001 in New York City. And I will tell you this, that to this day, I still get goosebumps in my stomach honoring these men and women that stepped up and did everything they could to save lives. They took their oath to an entire different level. It's all about honor. It's all about respect. And for those innocent souls that died a horrible death in this absolutely atrocious terrorist attack, we pray for your families and we pray that your souls will rest in peace forever. You will never be forgotten. All right, my brothers, listen up. Downtown Miami, December 1 and 2. You cannot miss this event. We're talking about the conclave of warriors. We're talking about learning how to dominate your life. We're talking about learning how to increase your mindset and strengthen your self-confidence. We're talking about understanding that living a life that embodies that warrior spirit takes action in your part, but more importantly, it takes the desire to get up to that next level. And my brothers, I will tell you this, this is going to be an inspirational event. It's going to motivate you, but most of all, you're going to be changed forever. Mark my words, you cannot miss this event. Go grab your tickets right now because they have been selling very fast. And I told you when we started selling tickets here that the prices would go up. Well, they've gone up twice and they're going to go up a third time here over the next few days. Grab your tickets now. They still have early prices. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com. And before we go, do me a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. So important for us to continue trending higher, and we have gone higher, and we continue trending higher because of you, right? Because of your support. And I got to tell you something, between you and I, there is so much support for this movement that I am just absolutely, 
I, I can't even speak sometimes at so many, I get so many awesome emails. I get so many people reaching out to me from all, all over the world. And I look forward to meeting every one of them. If I could, I wish, but a lot of them are coming down to the Conclave of Warriors from Australia, from Spain, from Brazil, from Colombia, from a bunch of places in South America. And I'm just freaking stoked. So I'm asking you please to leave us a review. It means a lot to me. It really does. You know, the content you get here is absolutely grade A across the board. We don't miss shows. We're structured. We give you what you want to hear and we don't bullshit around. Everything is honest and straight up. And I got to tell you something, a lot of work goes into this and I really hope that you can appreciate that. All right, my brothers, this is a very timely episode. Grab on because it's a very deep episode also. You're going to love it. Stand by. Chris Fields, welcome to the Man of War podcast. My brother is an absolute honor to have you on. Thank you, brother. I'm honored, honored to be part of it. Awesome, man. So you're doing some great things nowadays, especially for first responders. I love what you guys are doing. And what we're going to do here is we're going to dive deep into your mindset and your career and basically things that we can learn, that our audience can learn from your career and what you're doing now. Before uh, we get going here, could you introduce yourself for our audience? Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Chris Fields. Um Retired Oklahoma City firefighter, retired March 1st after uh, 31 years and seven months of service to the city of Oklahoma City. Damn. What are you doing nowadays, Chris? Uh, nowadays, I'm, I'm involved with a group, uh, several gentlemen, um, Jay Dobbins and Sean Riley, and uh, we go around speaking to first responders, um, either they're actually dealing with PTSD at this time or you know, kind of give everybody the heads up and the warning signs of what to look for, what we went through as individuals, and some of the mindset that it takes to come over it, uh, overcome it, and trying to break that stigma of uh, people uh, not wanting to reach out for help. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man, and we need that for sure, no doubt about it. And uh, let's talk a little bit about for listeners that don't know exactly who you are and how you became so popular and well-known is because the iconic photo of a fireman with a baby in his arms uh, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Talk to me about that. Um, it was um, Wednesday, just to take people back to put them in that place. It was uh, Wednesday, April 19th, 1995. And... Um, Went on duty that morning about 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, hanging around the fire station doing our daily routine and felt the station, uh, felt and heard the blast, station rattled. I was at a station that was about 15 blocks north of the uh, of the bomb site. Uh, we went outside. To, we thought maybe a, a train had derailed and hit the station because there were some train tracks that ran by there. And uh, we saw the large plume of smoke from downtown immediately self-dispatch ourselves down there um the we did uh some triage at a, at a daycare that was by the murrah building we got called down to the murrah building for a rescue effort to assist uh policemen uh oklahoma city police officers law enforcement get a lady out of the basement uh was going to another assignment at the south side of the building probably this is probably 20 minutes into it and a gentleman, which later I found out was an off-duty police officer, a gentleman uh, named John Avery, came out of the rubble and said he had a critical infant, and he was just looking for somebody to help him. And I uh, 
I said, here, I'll take her. And I checked her for signs of life. Um, didn't find any. Saw an ambulance across the street. Took her over there. I say her. I, I didn't know it was. I really couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl at the time. Um, took her over there and um, told the ambulance paramedics that I had a critical infant and I couldn't find any signs of life. And they have a little more advanced equipment, Doppler stuff, to try to see if they could pick up a pulse or a heartbeat. And uh, looking back, finding out about the photo that, you know, it was snapped when I was um, holding her, waiting for the ambulance guy to spread a blanket out on the ground for her. The ambulance was full. Stretchers were full. And I mean, he made a statement that just sticks out in my mind even today. He said, we're not putting that baby on this ground. And he was getting a blanket out so we could at least not have to put her on the pavement so he could check her out. And I handed her off to the paramedic, went back and caught up with my crew, uh, worked the rest of the day, uh, all, all recovery. There was no more rescue for, for my crew. It was all recovery the rest of the day. And got back stationed about 11 o'clock at night, and that's when I found out there was even a photo taken. Wow. Very, very powerful. And, uh, I mean, did we find out, um, you know, the parents for, for, for the child, did we make any connection after that or, uh, yes, sir. That's, 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 that's actually part of, part of my story is, um, once we found out there was a photo, even that night, it's a AP called our dispatch cause they, some person had some amateur photographer had snapped this photo and was getting his film developed. And the photo shop called him and said, hey, I think you have some photos here that people would like to see. Long story short, AP gets hold of them. They identify me as a firefighter. Uh, it's in all the papers the next morning worldwide. That, that, that was on a Wednesday. That was Thursday morning. Thursday night, I get a call from a local reporter wanting to know if I want to meet that the baby has been identified. The parents have identified the child. And would I want to meet the mother. And, and at first I was like, no, there's no way I want to meet the mother. I didn't know what she wanted, what would she want with me? You know, I didn't, I didn't save her baby. I didn't do anything. Uh, I felt I was really struggling with guilt, uh, a lot of guilt for putting her in that position that her baby was, you know, sent worldwide in circulation. She was catching a lot of attention for it. And sure, the fact sure. that I, you know, and I, I found out I was, you know, I was the last one to hold her child. And that really, I struggle with that a lot, uh, being that's, that's something a parent should do in that situation. I hate any parent have to go through it, but to find out I was the last one to hold her child. So I struggled with it and said, no, I didn't want to meet her, uh, for that reason, for selfish personal reasons. But, uh, the reporter said, well, she reached out to me. She wants to meet you. Well, that's, you know, that right there sealed it for me. I said, well, if that's what she wants, then we'll, we'll do it. I'll meet her. Cause that's, that's, that's the kind of heart I have as the kind of hardest first responders that we have. You know, I was, I was reaching out to her cause she, that's what she wanted. So anyway, we met a uh, 21 year old single mom. Uh, Bailey was her name. The baby's name was Bailey Almond. Uh, she had turned a year old the day before the bombing. Um, so here I am. I've got, I mean, I am emotional train wreck. And this 21-year-old single mom who just lost her child um, comforted me. So it was really a blessing to meet her. And she's been a part of our life ever since, me and my families. Wow, that's very deep. 
And um, I mean, you, you go back in time and, and you, you look at what happened, that, you know, that terrorist attack. You were out there in the rubble. You were, you were helping others. And, you know, you find a child, you hold it in your arms, you know, as a first responder. You know, you're doing your best to, to save the, the child's life. And, you know, you find out, you know, obviously that the, the child didn't make it. And then to, to go back and, you know, have that connection with the, with the parent, man, that, that's deep right there. No doubt about it. How did it, how did that affect you after that? I mean, say weeks and months after that. Um, well, like I mentioned, I, I really struggled with the, uh, with the guilt of putting her in that position, she caught a lot of, um, I know a lot of it was emotions. The family's not, you know, I had to deal with loss of their family members. She got a lot of negative feedback from some families, uh, feeling like the world was focused on her baby. Um, I, you know, the mind is so powerful that, you know, I know I wasn't responsible. Didn't you know there was no intent on my part, but my mind, I'm feeling the guilt for that holding her baby and in the being singled out, um, as you know, you know, as first responders, even though there's times we act as individuals, man, it's just like any sport. It's a, it's a team effort. And to be singled out, like I was being singled out, um, when knowing that what my brothers and sisters were doing around the building for the next two weeks, you know, was kind of, was a real uncomfortable feeling, but I was, um, I'm 54 years old. I was raised in a, an era, uh, you know, growing up in little league sports and playing high school sports. And then even when I got on the fire department, man, it was the suck it up syndrome. You know, there was no time for emotions or there was no time for being hurt on whatever sporting field you were doing, you know, you sucked it up and went on down the road. And that's what I did for almost eight to 10 years. I, uh, internally just struggled with it. Um, trying to still be that, you know, that leader to my crew, I didn't want them to feel like they couldn't believe or trust in me, like I couldn't do my job. I didn't want my people above me, my administrators and chiefs that had put me in that leadership role to think that I couldn't handle my job, that I wasn't you know, mentally capable of handling my job. So, Hey, my brothers, just a quick break in the action. Listen, if you've been in a rut, if you're having difficulty taking action in your life, if you're struggling to overcome challenges and obstacles in your life, I have something very powerful for you. December 1 and 2, downtown Miami, Florida, at the Conclave of Warriors, we are uniting seven elite warriors that are going to teach you how to strengthen your mindset, your self-confidence. They're going to teach you how to lead from the front. More importantly, they're going to guide you in the warrior's path, whether it's in business, in life, in relationships, all facets of your life are going to be covered in this event. More importantly, they're going to guide you to overwhelming success. Why, you ask? I'm going to tell you why. Because we're going to be connecting with you on a one-on-one -on -one level, something that most events don't do. This is going to be truly a unique experience, bringing it all together in two immersive days. We're talking about the main presentation, day one, breakout sessions, Q&A sessions, PT optional session. If you want to do this, Miami River's open. You're going to have a monster PT session there with Navy SEAL Ray Care. Also, a very special VIP party and 
an inner circle breakfast. This is gonna be an elite event, no doubt about it. I want to see you there. Right now, tickets continue to go up every week just about until the event. Grab your tickets right now before they sell out. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com. Now back to the show. I just carried on for eight or nine years and um, just being the the happy-go-lucky, funny guy, trying to be, you know, life of the party guy, like nothing was bothering me. And that went on for, i say, almost 10 years before there was a few things that uh, that uh, clicked in my mind. And that's when my my personal life, my life started to unravel. All right. So, so let's go back a little bit about uh, when you were younger. Let's go into that chapter of your life. And then from there, we're going to kind of move forward. But what made you want to become a fireman? Um. Golly, that is, you know, that used to be such a simple question, and we'll, and we'll get into it later, how complex it is, why I think now I became one. But uh, early on, I was just, um, I was raised around firefighters. I had an uncle who was a firefighter. Um, my best friend growing up, his father was the chaplain for the Oklahoma City Fire Department. So I was always with him, running around, going to fire stations if there was a big fire call. His father as a chaplain would go just to be there and we'd go with him. I grew up playing volleyball at the station with firefighters when I was just a young kid. Excuse me. And it just seemed like a natural progression for me. I uh, Some of my uh, groups I was involved in at church were uh, several of my leaders in those groups were Oklahoma City firefighters. And it was just a... Uh, uh, something I wanted to do and I just felt the calling to uh to go and I love the fact that they their their mindset is to take a bad situation and make it better and that's just always been kind of my mindset whether it's been fire department related or helping friends I like to be a problem solver and uh sometimes I take on too many problems (laughs) which we all do sometimes but uh that was just the mindset I had that I love the fact that that was their their mantra kind of, you know, take a bad situation, make it better. That's um, very powerful right there. You know, when you're looking at the, uh, your mantra, you know, trying to take a bad situation and make it better. I mean, there's a lot of power behind those words. Now that type of mindset, I mean, being a firefighter going out there, especially in Oklahoma city, you know, in that area, you guys are pretty busy and I'm saying to myself, you know what, you, you know, going from call to call, responding, you know, for different incidents throughout your career. I'm sure this was definitely one of your, um, for a lack of a better word, your highlights of your career. I mean, dealing with a terrorist attack like that, no doubt. But you go back there and you start saying, well, you're, you know, you, you, like you said, you came up old school. I came up old school also. And it's to the point where, hey, you know what, you just move forward, suck it up. And, and that's that. And the things we see out there, uh, I would say most of the country or most of the planet do not get really a chance to see really what's out there. So, you know, when you kind of absorb that down and dirty atmosphere in this world where you're going out there and you're seeing just bad shit happen, right? And you're you know, you're responding to things that for the most part, the average person has no knowledge about. They live in the little bubble in this world 
And, you know, you guys are constantly responding to, you know, fires, stabbings, shootings, terrorist attacks, you know, and you're saying to yourself, shit, man, you know, where do you have a set structure in your life to deal with what you're exposed to every single day? I mean, where? A lot of guys don't. Right. You know, and I know me coming up, I didn't, man. It was just like, hey, you know what? Go out there, see the shit, deal with the shit every single day. Even now, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm still on duty. You know, you see the shit, you just, you know, take your hat off, boom. And that's it. You're a different person when you get home. Uh, that That is perfectly said. That's one of the things that I think me and Jay and Sean and some other people are working towards to – to teach people, try to teach them to have that structure in their life for something else. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, and, and we'll get into it later when I talk about my, my PTSD and, and overcoming it. Some of the things, it's not that one certain call. Yeah. The bombing was a huge, probably the, you know, the worst thing I ran on. It wasn't the sole source of my PTSD. It was a catalyst for it. Um, and without, like you say, without having a structure of how to deal with it, whether it's a buddy to talk to or even your wife, you know, if you've got a wife or girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse that you can talk to about stuff, just getting it off your chest is uh, for some people just talking about it is, is the therapy they need. Some people need a little more. Um, one thing I always when I talk to a lot of first responders is I don't recommend uh, for 10 years or so. I would not recommend getting your counseling from, off-duty firefighters drinking a beer at a strip bar because that's that's you know that's where I got a lot of my counseling for uh, eight to ten years uh, and you find out that a lot of those guys are living in a hell and they kind of want you in their hell with them and you feel the same so that's I just I tell the young firefighters I talk to that uh, as fun as it sounds and as a good time as you'll have that's the worst place to get your counseling is a is a strip bar from firefighters on your day off <laughs> sure you know when as a firefighter itself, you know, when you get these type of calls and, and, you know, cause I'm dealing, you know, I, we go out there, we deal with firefighters all day long, you know, and a lot of the calls, uh, that we go to shootings and things like that, you know, you guys come in and, and, and help out. And obviously you do the, the rescue and the medical side. And so, but, you know, I start thinking to myself and in situations, man, when, um, fire is in the 30th floor 20th floor shit's breaking out you know let's go back to to 9-11 okay and then you're looking at that and you're saying i mean that's some heavy shit right there I and mean, people don't realize that you know when we took this job right when first responders took this job you know they took an oath and that oath sometimes even steps ahead of their 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 life you know, I mean, we're giving our life out there and, and, you know, we're putting, we're putting that oath first and foremost and people don't see that. And I go back and I start saying, you know, how many people in this world really see what first responders do and really appreciate, man, what we do out there? Yeah. They think of cops giving tickets. They think of, you know, firefighters chilling in the, uh, you know, in their nice comfy uh, bed or couches watching TV, you know, and, and as cops and firefighters, we do that shit all the time, you know, Hey, go back to your, but when the shit hits right. the fan, man, it's all about respecting each other, man. We respect each other because you, we know right. your job is very difficult. You know, our job is very difficult, even though they're, they're different. They are still 
for the same exact outcome to help to to definitely protect and to rescue life man that's what it's all oh, yeah. about so I just wish, I don't know if you agree with me here, but I wish that more people would start realizing what first responders really go out there oh, and do. Oh, man, I, brother, you hit the nail on the head. That is, that's probably, you know, and I, I'm the same way. I, you know, I know people that, uh, you know, josh around about, you know, yeah, you're laying around the fire station, playing volleyball, you know, y'all are eating, you know, cops are eating donuts and giving tickets. and But, you know, it's it's a, when I see firefighters and when i see cops whether they're actually performing their duty or whether they're in between calls or off duty and ones i know and i have i know that that person it's like talking to you i know that you are willing to give up your life for what you believe in and to protect somebody else and to me that is i mean i get emotional even saying it and talking about it to me that is a and it's, it's a calling not everybody can make the guys and girls that get into this job for, oh, man, look at the benefits or look at the retirement or, you know, look at the days off they get. They won't make it. You you, you got to have a heart for this job. Um, you got to have a mindset to survive this job and, and deal with what we see. And the respect level um, that what cops in this country are going through right now, golly, I get. I guess I'm mad sometimes I can't see straight, seeing the, the lack of respect they get. But who do they want there first when they call 911? By God, they want you there. They just called you a son of a bitch 10 minutes ago, but now they want you there to protect them. And that kind of stuff just – and that's tough on the that's tough on the, uh, the mindset of the job. I mean, you go out – I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, you got to have a, kind of an ego to do our job too, but you want to feel appreciated. That's just human nature. And for cops to take the beating they take now, I just, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to go back to a simpler time in, in simpler Absolutely. time in the world when uh, law enforcement and firefighters were respected a lot more. For sure, for sure, no doubt about it. So let's dive deep into how you overcame your PTSD. Let's kind of go into that dark time in your life when you just said, man, you know, you were kind of spiraling downwards, and then all of a sudden you just figured, hey, man, I got to get out of this black hole. Yeah, uh, like I said, brother, it was probably um, eight, eight to ten years after after the bombing that, um, like I say, I had, you know, I had been I've been living life, coaching my sons in little league, and everything was going great on the outside. You know, that's that's the uh, persona I projected. Um, I didn't want anybody worrying about me because, like, like I said, I'm a protector. That or we are protectors that do what we do, and so I didn't want people worrying about me. Um, uh, about 2004, 2005, we were, this is so simple, but we were putting a swimming pool in our backyard and I was helping the guys bust out some concrete on our patio. Um, it started raining. Um, I caught a smell of concrete dust, wet concrete dust. Well, the night of the Oklahoma city bombing that night it had rained and the smell of wet concrete dust. What I, what I later learned now that was a trigger for me. Um, I just stopped what I was doing and I thought, golly, that smells just, it took me back. I said, that smells just like the bombing or the night of the bombing to myself. I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't right then have a, you know, major issue, but looking back, it was shortly after that, that I started kind of, 
I think it just brought everything back real time. I, I started withdrawing from my family. I started isolating myself. Um, started using a little more Jack Daniels in my Jack and Coke for to medicate more than physically get by, but just to medicate mentally. Um, there, you know, if I was on duty and one of my sons had a sporting event, we could pay guys to come in and work for us. Well, it was nothing for me whether I had it or not <laughs> to come up with it. I was dropping, you know, Hey, come in for four hours for me. Here's 200 bucks. I gotta go to make my son's sporting events. Well, I got to be where that wasn't as important. Started missing stuff like that. Laying on the couch. Soon as I got home to the station. And that's just not me. That's just not how I operate. And, uh, my wife noticed it. Well, she started kind of questioning me, questioning, you know, my lifestyle. Well, that's when, uh, as Chris Fields, I knew what was best for me. Um, I didn't want any part of this anymore. So, uh, I upped and I up and moved out. And, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, we, we talked for hours, but to, to move ahead, that's, I mean, it just came to a point to where I wasn't, this wasn't what Chris Fields thought he wanted. So I packed up my shit and I moved out. Um, started being the, the father I wasn't supposed to, shouldn't be the husband. I shouldn't be, uh, uh, and I, and I, I don't struggle with it anymore, but it's still emotional to talk about that. I, I humiliated my family like I did. And my, uh, my, some of my friends that reached out to try to help me, the things I said to them, uh, the humiliation of, you know, having an extramodal affair, put my wife through that. I, my, uh, my son who's 25 now was a, um, senior, in high school, I believe, when it all came to a head. So here I am as a grown man telling my 17-year-old son, hey, you're the man of the family now. Take care of your mom. Make sure your little brother's taken care of. And that's, that, was, that was the mindset I was in. It was killing me on the inside, but Chris Fields had to act like that was what he wanted to do. That was to, So to everybody else, I was still, you know, Chris Fields, I was living over here in a two-bedroom apartment by myself, uh, bills running out the out my ass because I wanted to be you know this even though I was an ass I wanted to be this stand-up guy so I'm paying all the bills here at the house I'm running up my bills and uh that went on for uh two years uh I lived like that uh, until finally and I tell it when I'm telling part of my story I I woke up at about two or three in the morning in a panic attack uh looking for my family at my at my, uh, my two bedroom apartment and, uh, couldn't find my family and never went back to sleep the rest of that night. And, uh, was, uh, I just determined right then I just fell to my knees and I said, there's no way that this is, this is the plan for my life. You know, I just knew that there had to be more that I can fake it all I want. I knew I wasn't happy. And that was the turning point in my life when I finally, uh, uh, called my wife about six that morning and asked her if I could come home and with open arms, she said yes. And been on the, started my road to recovery then. Very, very powerful, man. Good stuff. Good stuff about it. So when you, uh, you kind of got to start, started to dig yourself out of the bat, that black hole. Okay. 
Um, I mean, your mindset, were you getting stronger as a, you know, from your mind, your body and your spirit kind of together? Or was it something where you just every day you would do something a little bit more positive and kind of slowly get yourself out of that hole? Uh, I think it, it, it t- takes all of it, the mind and body and the spirit, because and it's almost an equal. It's got to be kind of sp- split up equally because uh, I don't think you want <clears throat> to. I don't think you want to overload one of them too much. So I think it's, it's a combination of the three. And, um, that was part of my, uh, part of my digging out of the black hole was, uh, I had to keep, I did. I, uh, as far as the body part, I started working out, started, uh, you know, getting back in shape, which made me feel good. My mind, I was, uh, reading books and I was going to counseling. I went away to two PTSD, uh, uh, retreat places to get help and started dealing with, uh, my PTSD. Um, so it was a mind, body, spirit, all, all three things combined. And I went back to that, my, my mindset of growing up playing sports. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but I was, uh, you know, I was always this, this, I'm, you know, I'm five, seven, five, eight, I'm five, nine now, five, seven, five, eight in high school sports. Well, you know, I was your, I was a point guard. I was center fielder. I was kind of that leadership role. And I was always the guy that, you know, dove for the loose ball. I was, I was the guy that you wanted on your team, but if you weren't, if I wasn't on your team, you hated me, <laughs> you know, one of them kind of players because I played. Mm-hmm. So, and so that's the kind of mindset I took to, to make myself better and to restore my family. Cause I thought I was taking on something. I was taking on some bad spirits and, and, uh, and so that was the mindset I took on to, uh, to get back to where I am today. And, it, you know, it took a lot of counseling, finding out that uh, PTSD is, an, is a cumulative thing. The, there may be one event that maybe is the catalyst or that maybe pushes you over the edge, so to speak. But as I found out, it was a, it was a series of uh, events in my life that, uh, that I never fully processed going all the way back when I was a child. Very, very interesting. So talk to me about how now you have changed and how you've seen the light and you're, you know, you're stronger in body, mind and spirit. And, and here you are today, you know, you're, you're doing some great stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I'm in such a, uh, golly, I don't know the, the, the things the last, uh, eight or nine years have been, uh, not to take away from me and my wife's marriage before, but our last nine years of marriage has been better than the previous 20, 22. I've been married 31 years. Uh, and I'm just in a place to where um, I, I resented that photo and all, all the stuff I went through for so long. But now that I see its its, it's purpose, um, realizing that there, I went through all this for a reason, um, if it, if it hadn't been for the photo and then the trigger of the bombing, uh, I, I wouldn't be where I was at today. I would probably have kept dealing with issues. And like I said, it was the cumulative PTSD issues for me going back to my childhood, things I just never dealt with. I was, uh, you know, I was and stuff I carried with me, blame I carried with myself. Um, you know, I was molested by a pretty prominent family friend and member in the church when I was uh, 10, 11 years old. I carried that as I blamed myself for that for years. 
um, and was never, ever even talked about until, I mean, my wife, my family, nobody knew until about nine years ago when I started dealing with, uh, my PTSD stuff and, and getting help. Um, I look back, I never dealt with, you know, I've only I've been fortunate. In fact, I've only lost six family members to death, you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Well, in a 15 year span, 20 year span on the fire department, I lost, you know, six, seven brothers on the fire department, line of duty deaths that we didn't deal with. We didn't uh, process. So now I'm, I've got that mindset. I've learned how to process everything. Uh, and I'm just in a place to where I want to give back even more. I did it for 31 years as a firefighter. Um, now I'm in a place to where I get more joy out of speaking uh, and telling my my story, uh, the issues I've overcame. Uh, it's just a deal where I get more. Th- nothing is more emotional for me now to have a person come up to me after we speak and tell them that I, you know, we touched their heart. Uh, me and Jay experienced that. Um, we just came back from Cheyenne, Wyoming at an event, had a gentleman who wasn't even supposed to be there that day, happened to stop by and see us speaking, took off the rest of the day to come listen to us. And <clears throat> uh, we got a mail, a letter, a text from him the other day that uh, he's off the job right now seeking help for PTSD and getting the counseling he needs. So that kind of stuff right there tells me that I'm where I'm supposed to be. and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So the people that you're reaching out to, is it just first responders or are you going to different organizations that, um, you know, that want you to speak about, you know, mental health and, and, you know, PTSD and things like that? Um, at this point, I've just spoken to first responders. Um, I have a few things in the works with some other people, to come speak, and, and and some people have called. They just want to, they want me to talk about just the photo and the bombing. Well, that's that's not my focus, and uh, I usually let them know that you know this is what I speak about about the mental health part of it, and it doesn't it doesn't matter to me uh, whether it's first responders or not. Uh, PTSD, I like to call it PTSI. A friend of mine does for post traumatic stress injury. I think that word disorder or syndrome or whatever has such a stigma with it. Uh, to me, it's just a, it's a brain injury, uh, just like a knee injury that you can rehab from. So, and to me, it's not restricted just to first responders or military. I mean, there's traumatic events in everybody's life. We have some friends who just recently lost a child. Well, the wife is struggling right now. And to me, it's, it's PTSD or PTSI. She's, it's post-traumatic stress. It doesn't necessarily say you know, post first responder stress or whatever. So I'm, I'm venturing out and, and trying to include everybody because my story is just not about overcoming PTSD. It's about overcoming, having that mindset to overcome any obstacles in life, whether it's PTSD, whether it's, you know, setback at work, not getting the promotion you wanted or, you know, uh, losing friends, friends talking. I mean, there's just so many obstacles in life and I, and I'm, uh, I don't try to sound like a raw, raw guy, but I'm just, I guess what I've been through, I'm really, I'm tired of seeing people just quit and give up just because there's a roadblock and uh, there's, there's options. You can go a thousand different ways to get around a roadblock. No doubt about it. And I think there, it's a lot deeper than that. 
uh, individuals get affected by all sorts, right? All sorts of situations, challenges, obstacles in their lives. And, you know, this podcast is all about the warrior mindset. It's all about developing and forging warriors out there, individuals that can overcome challenges, continue forward and be successful in life. I mean, you're a great success. I mean, you overcame a pretty, pretty strong, you know, traumatic situation. You know, you were down in the gutter and all of a sudden you stepped right back up into life and here you are. More importantly, what shows here is I hear you are, you are a legit warrior. You're someone that has stepped up and is giving of himself to help others. In my book, that is the most important quality that a warrior has in this in this planet, right? I mean, we're giving of ourselves. We're here to help others. And you just don't have to be in the first responder world. Anyone can can, can do it. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Oh, brother, I, <clears throat> when that takes me back, I was speaking to those first responders that were actually in treatment, and there were some of them there. There was a few gentlemen in there that weren't first responders, and that's exactly what I told him. I said, you got to figure out what your purpose is. Everybody's got a purpose. Your purpose may, it may not be to be a first responder. It may not be to, you know, what you do, which I love, by the way, making warriors out of me. I love it. And uh, it may be just to have a great job, be a great father, be a great husband and raise a great family. I mean, what a, what a, what a purpose that is. And I think that's what people are I don't want to sound too. That's what I want men to realize. Um, it's yes, it takes two in a marriage and a family, but, and the message I get from you and watching some of your stuff and listening, men need to step up and be the leaders and the warriors for their family. No doubt. Regardless. If, I don't care if they're the breadwinner in the family, that has nothing to do with it, but they are still the men that need to lead the families and be the warriors to fight, protect their families and, and lead their families where they need to go. And that's what I try to tell people. It's not all about, uh, the goal is to help people along the way. But I tell guys, man, you want to retire from this job and be able to be a functional part of society and still lead your family. And don't, it's just a message. I think that's lost. I see it coming back. I see it coming back, but I think it's been lost for a good 10, 20 years. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, I mean, you know, you, you look at individuals out there that in their lives, they go through struggles, they go through challenges, and they kind of get into this pitfall. And, you know, I'm very familiar because I'm, I'm a hostage negotiator and also crisis intervention, which I'm dealing with individuals with, with this type of mental health, you know, very often, right. you know, so people just don't understand that the reality is that you can be speaking to someone and because you're, you go to your day to day and you just kind of shrug people off that have mental issues. But when you sit down and speak to them, you realize why they got to this point and everyone has different battles in their lives. And I just wish that more people out there could really understand that, you know, everyone fights their own little wars. And if you get to know someone deeper, you will see why they're there, what got them to that point. And, you know, I, I love what you're doing out there, man, where you're going and, and you're speaking and you're giving of yourself along with some, some great guys. And that is important. We need more individuals like you guys out there. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and I love 
I love what you what you're doing, and I love the fact that just listening to you, you know, just what you said now about getting to know people and listening to their stories and figuring out why they're there. That wasn't me 25 years ago. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, mental health, I blew it off. I didn't, you know, I thought I'll suck it up and, you know, get on with your life. That's, that was just the mindset I had, but where I'm at now and seeing the things I went through and uh, that other friends have gone through and seeing that, you know, nobody really chooses to be in that those pits where we get, you don't choose that. Sometimes it, it happens. And when you hear their story and take the time to listen to them and that's part, and I know you, you preach this. It's as part of being a, a, a warrior. A warrior doesn't mean you're a badass and you're harsh and you're a, being a warrior is, is to me is being a leader and having a heart. It takes a good heart to be a leader and listening to people and getting to know people. And that's part of the warrior mindset that, that I carry with me. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about what can someone do? All right. Well, really, what can someone do here to kind of step up and get out of that black hole? It sounds it sounds so simple, but it is it's a tough step. It's uh, it's just it's it's reaching out for the help they need. Uh, that's why I say when I reached out, you know, uh, that was my that was one of my biggest fears was reaching out for help because now you gotta you gotta get to get that out of that hole you gotta go past all these people you either you know humiliated or were an ass to as you were going down to the pit and that's a huge step but I was I was shocked and moved when I reached out when I finally reached out the the amount of people that were reaching back, reaching out to help me. It was, uh, and that's, that's the message I try to tell. Nobody's alone. I mean, the world seems really, pardon my fucked up right now where there's a lot of division going on, but still look when, look when a tragedy happens, how everybody comes together and reaches out. There's no, you know, there's no race barriers. There's no financial barriers. There's, there's nothing. Everybody comes together. And that's the same way it is when you reach out for help for a personal struggle. Everybody will come together and, and be there for you. I was talking about my wife. Did I really think she would? I mean, I called and said, I want to come home. What'd she do? She reached out and said, you know, come on, let's get this right. And that's mm -hmm. all my friends that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that I cussed them when I was going through my stuff. And they probably didn't say the best things about me. Uh, it's just, it's just part of it. And, um, uh, but reaching out is the biggest, I told those first responders in treatment, the job you signed up to do for a living, the calling in your life makes you a hero in my book. But what really makes you a hero and a warrior in my book is reaching out, getting the help you need to keep your family together, to keep your career going, to keep your, to keep from committing suicide. I mean, uh, that's, that's to me, it's just, it's reaching out. I know it sounds so simple. But it is just reaching out for the for the help, and they'll be shocked at the people that are there to help them. Yeah, that's some good, some good stuff, no doubt about it, no doubt. So, tell me a little bit about overall the mental health state that you've seen 
you know, especially from first responders. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, do you think now agencies are implementing a little bit more know-how, a little bit more, I guess, prioritizing mental health? I do. I do see a shift in it. <clears throat> um, and I also, I see a, I see a bigger shift. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about speaking to first responders. Uh, I'll speak to all first responders. I love my firefighters. I see a firefighters are, we're worse than cops about change. We hate change. You know, we, well, we're the worst. So the switch to put mental health as a, as on the top of the list is it's a struggle. I see a lot. I see further advancement in law enforcement agencies, um, which I love. Um, I do see a, I do see a shift just in the fact that we're invited to speak at some of these events is, is a shift. You would have never seen that 10, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago. But I think and it all starts at the top. It starts with just like in my deal. I didn't want my, chiefs above me that put me in that position to think I couldn't handle my job. Well, just because you're struggling with a call or something traumatic affects you doesn't mean you can't handle your job. So to me, it all starts at the top, the administration part of these departments and the city, uh, realizing that uh, mental health is a very important factor. Uh, they give us all the, you know, when I graduate, when you graduate rookie school, they want you in the best physical shape you can be in. They give you all the best protective equipment you know, you can wear to protect you. Heck, now in rookie schools, they even bring in financial advisors to tell you how to, these young kids how to handle their money when they're on the job and invest in this. Well, the mental deal was just kind of left out because we were always just taught to suck it up. But I, I, I do see a very positive swing in, uh, in the mental health awareness of first responders. I'm actually part of a, if Oklahoma city has a rookie school going on, um, Sometime during that rookie school, me and two other gentlemen that I retired with, uh, we go speak to the rookies about uh, mental health and awareness. So let me ask you a question now. We're thinking about, for example, a, a shift, okay, in, in agencies, all right, as far as prioritizing mental health, law enforcement agencies, some of the fire departments, um, that, that's all great government entities, but... Let's go to the civilian population here, to the population that's outside of first responders and people that are having mental health issues where they're struggling in life, right? They're, they're definitely just can't meet their bills. And, and I'm a big believer that financial, uh, financial problems are a monster cause for mental health instability. I mean, we see it all the time. You know, people losing their houses, creditors hunting them down. You know, they just can't make it, you know, and, and whatever, for, for whatever it may be. And, and listen, I'm all about, you know, in this show, I'm always constantly talking about, you know, if you're not making a living, a good living, and, you know, definitely, you know, protecting your family and, and, and making good enough money where you can take care of your family. In my book, you need to step it up, you know, get your head out of your ass. Right. I'm all about that. But now I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to flip this for a second here and go to the other side where these individuals that are constantly, you know, just hitting themselves against the wall over and over again. 
and somehow, some way, they just can't make ends meet. They are not providing for their family. They are not, you know, their their children are just not not making it in the sense that they have no family cohesion because all this financial burden is on the you know the head of the household or for that matter if it's a woman or a man doesn't make a difference the bottom line here is that when these individuals are out there in in this darkness and they just feel like they're you know kind of digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper Man, you start looking at that and you're like saying, man, is there a way out for these guys? Is, 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 there, is there a true way to help them see that light, see that sunshine again? Oh, man, there, there is, brother. And it's exciting. It's just as it's hard to just generalize it and say every person should do this. You know, it's like you said, you get to know that person, find out why they're in that situation they're in, maybe. Um but there is, there's, there's, there's help out there. There's, there's agencies that can help them, you know, get back on their feet again, help them with their bills, um, and do stuff like that and help with their kids. And it's all about, to me, it's about being a hero to yourself and to your family, uh, bottom line. Um, and that is, that's a, that's a tough, tough question to answer, but there is a, even outside the first responder world, there is a lot more attention given to, to mental health right now. Um, and I know this, I'm not a big proponent of, I hate to see mental health issue people locked up. I mean, and they need to be helped. You know, if you got a guy that's committed one armed robbery or <laughs> a robbery or whatever, because he's trying to get money for his family, but you evaluate him, like you said, get to know him and see that he has mental health issues then let's get them the help they need for the mental health issues. Um, but it's just as simple as I say, it's, it's simple, but it's tough because I've been there, but it's just a, a matter of, of reaching out, searching out the avenues to, for whatever aspect of your life you need help in to, to make your mental health better. So Chris, it, it, it seems like, you know, all the questions that you're answering, they all have to do with reaching out so you think that that is super important, right? I mean, you got to reach out to someone. You cannot do it alone. I, I Yeah, you have to reach out. Uh, you cannot do it alone, whether it's family, friends, uh, social agency, or, or whatever it may be. Um, you, have, you, you have to do it. You have to reach out. There's just, uh, I know, like I say, I keep saying that. It's just so simple. But it is, it's the key to it. You can't, you cannot do it alone. That, that's a great mindset to have that you want to stand on your own two feet. You want to, well, I was as macho and as egotistical as any firefighter on the job, but I had to realize that mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the hole I was in on my own. I needed help. That's awesome, man. Some great stuff. Listen, for you guys that are definitely having challenges in lives, and your lives and you're overcoming obstacles little by little and getting stronger good for you but for those that are stuck in a rut that are that are in this black hole you know take it from chris here go out there reach out and chris can you give me you know where they can reach out uh certain well number one they can call me at uh i'll, I'll give out my number i really don't i don't mind i type first responders um I, i'm at 405-249-3400 is uh, 
my contact and uh, give me just a second. I'm sorry. I was, uh, I have safe call. Safe call now is, uh, is a great, it's uh, area code 206 459 3020. Is that some something that's monitored 24 hours or? It is a 24 hour crisis referral referral service. It's a, um, like I say, and it's going for that. That now that is strictly us first responders mm-hmm. that are going to uh, uh, answer the phone that have been where they're. If you're calling and you're struggling, these first responders have been where you're at, and they're going to talk to you. And if you feel like you need more than talk, you need treatment, they can assist with getting you to treatment facilities and and things of that nature or getting you the help you need. That's some great stuff, man. That, that's some great stuff. All right, Chris, listen, you have, uh, I mean, definitely a very deep, touching conversation, man. Some great stuff. You are a warrior in my book, no doubt about it. Typically in this show, I ask a question is, what is your definition of a modern day warrior? But you already gave me that definition uh, earlier as we discussed. And you're legit, man. You're a good dude. And, and what you're doing out there, much, much respect, no doubt about it. Well, um, Truly, I'm going to say I listened to all your podcasts. Truly, an honor to be to be on here, and um, you, my friend, are uh, a warrior. And I love I love what you're doing with uh, to to reach the hearts and the minds and and the men of America and make make men the warriors and the leaders we need to be. Awesome, brother. Listen, we're going to have you on soon, definitely, man. Some great stuff. Okay. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate your time, brother. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. There you have it. What a great conversation with Chris. This guy is an absolute warrior in my book. I mean, he was in a dark, dark place and he stepped up into the light. And more importantly, what warriors do, it's all about giving of yourself, no doubt about it. Remember to go to conclaveofwarriors.com and grab your tickets for the Conclave of Warriors downtown Miami, December 1 and 2. Until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.